0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: It was Saturday, March 1, 1997, and John Rebo was joined by 43,000 people at ANZ Stadium in Brisbane to watch the Broncos take on the Warriors. With fireworks, an elaborate pre-match music show, And even a football match, Rebo was watching the realisation of a dream that at many stages over the past two years had seemed out of reach. After all the court cases and the public acrimony, Bill Harrigan blew his whistle and Super League in Australia was officially underway. This is part three of Two Tribes, the 33rd chapter in the Rugby League Digest's in-depth investigation of the Super League War. (laughs) Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams, here with Andrew Paskin. How's it going, Andy? I'm great, mate. How are you? I'm good. We're here at the concluding part of Two Tribes and Super League is underway. So uh, we've gone through a lot to get there and let's hear how it all unfolds. It's amazing still to me that we're talking about on field, super league. I know, like it really did at various points over the last th- <laughs> three years. It seemed like such an abstract concept that we might one day be discussing 1997. And it's so good to get the same feeling
0: of being underwhelmed as I had in '97 <laughs> <laughs> with the state of play on the field.
1: Well, let's talk about it. But before we can talk about the season starting, we've got a preseason to get through. And that preseason began in a very unlikely place of Japan with the ARL (laughs) sending the Roosters and Manly uh, overseas for an exhibition match in Japan.
0: Let me ask you this question. Bogged down in a massive war costing hundreds of millions of dollars, is a Japanese exhibition match on the top list of your priorities?
1: It's not. I do think it had some strategic importance to the ARL when they lost everything internationally. And one of the carrots to their top players was to be able to provide international football. Many of those... Japan? Oh, all right, let me finish. All right, many of those same top players were playing for the Roosters and for Manly. It was essentially just a free trip for them. Uh-
0: <laughs> so international football is now a junket. Oh.
1: Unfortunately, it was. And there was another strategic value to taking a game there in the fact that That Japan was one of the many countries that had defected to Super League (laughs) and the ARL were left with the East Japan (laughs) Rugby League, who would be their host for this endeavor. So ultimately the game is of little importance and you're right that maybe with everything going on, the timing was very strange. It just thought to me that to mock the vision,
0: you want to go to Asia, it's never going to work, what are you doing? Get your own backyard in the water, we're off to Japan, catch yeah. you later, <laughs> sayonara.
1: Well, apparently it had been a long-held ambition of Bob Abbott, who we've talked about as you know the ARL's Pacific empresario. Uh, he'd long wanted to do it and he'd seen the inroads that Rugby Union had made in Japan. So for him it seemed that it was a good idea that had previously been blocked by Rugby Union. So being able to get it up and running you know, it wasn't going to set the world on fire, but it was something and it was some show of influence or vision from the ARL.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Japan man. been there, love it. Speak a bit of the language even. Uh, so I'm, I'm all for it, but it's the timing I'm worried about. Yeah.
1: Um, so timing has never been rugby league's strong suit. <laughs> so I'll give the ARL a pass. Uh, interesting is the way that Rugby League was set up in Japan in the first place, which uh, has a lot to do with Max Mannix, the former Bulldogs player who moved there in the early 90s and went about setting Rugby League up. And so the first Japanese team to play in the ARL's World 7s in 1994, they were actually a legit Japanese team. They yeah, were you know, based in Japan and came over, not just happened to have some heritage and you know, were living in Sydney.
0: Which is cool, but um, I'm surprised I don't know who Max Mannix is because, you know, we, you and I love the old players and it's yeah. been such a great name.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't don't remember him. Yeah, well, the name is certainly familiar to me, but I can't say I've watched many highlights packages of Max <laughs> Mannix's career. Yeah, yeah. But so, unfortunately, Max Mannix was not a part of official proceedings for this exhibition match because he and his Japan Rugby League had defected to Super League. <laughs>
0: what did they offer them?
1: Oh, (laughs) I think maybe some Super League polos would have got them (laughs) over the line. (laughs) So, you know, no one's pretending that Japan was making the difference. In the end, it was just a nice trip for the players. Mark Carroll had a a tour diary that was published in the Rugby League Week where he talked about some of the good feeds they had and some of their nights out.
0: I mean, um, not many TABs over there, but... Quite a few pachinko machines, <laughs> so swings aroundabouts. roundabouts.
1: This account from Mark Carroll is one of my favourite parts of the ARL's Japan excursion. Uh, he was talking about David Gillespie who said that he had a mate in Japan that was going to hook them up and they'd have a great night out. Now, knowing that David Gillespie played for the Bulldogs with Max Mannix and that Max Mannix was living in Japan – I'm going to assume that the character referenced in this story is Max Manning. Allegedly Max Manning. He was not named as so, so um, it could be a different friend of David Gillespie. But uh, as Mark Carroll tells it, the Thanks for Coming Award. For days, David Gillespie boasted about how a mate of his who would lived in Japan for four (laughs) years would look after us. Cement wrapped him up into this legend (laughs) who would open doors for us everywhere. But the guy showed up for one night, took us out, got in an altercation with a girl and was bopped over the head with a bottle by a boyfriend. He needed 22 stitches and we never saw him again.
0: <laughs> That's got rugby league written all over it, so <laughs> maybe your assumptions are right. But like getting in a bar brawl over there is no small deal. They chuck you in the cell for like three weeks yeah, before you yeah. talk to a lawyer and stuff. Yeah. So it's not like Australian rugby league atrocities.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in the end, the players had a nice time, but the trip was kind of all for nothing. You know, the ARL like, you know, went to some efforts to make it a mission to develop the game. So each team had a local player who played for them. So, you know, they'd slot one of their players on the wing and give them some exposure to the big game, which is nice. That's cool. Um, but it's like every kind of US excursion and every attempt to break into new markets, it's Where's the follow-up?
0: It's never an attempt. It's just an absolute waste of time every single time. A one-off, generate headlines in Australia. Yeah. Never that country. Yeah. Mm. Never understood it.
1: So, yeah, not much more to say about that. Just it's, it's an interesting way to start a season at, at this <laughs> point in time.
0: Did we find out what the altercation was over?
1: Uh, well, he said about a girl, that's as much as, <laughs> as we know. Yeah. <laughs> So with that done, it was time for the real uh, curtain raiser, which for the ARL for a number of years had been the World Sevens. Reportage of the Sevens in 1997, like it's clear how much it was on its last legs. There was just no enthusiasm for it from anyone involved in it. Ken Arthurson didn't even publicize the event during the week that it was on. Oh, like it was- my
0: lord! I mean, from the 92 Sevens with Ashley Gordon... I think it was 92. Massive buzz.
1: Yeah. And I think it was the year after Ashley Gordon that became the World 7s, if I'm correct.
0: I was this Nissan 7s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And maybe we're not the best people to talk about it because we were the right age at the time to be blown away by America, you know, Japan, you know, like this is crazy. Um, But I think by 1997, everyone knew that it was – Like a joke. It was a Disney production. (laughs) So I think Craig Salvatore, who was coaching the Italian team, he aptly sums up the Sevens experience. He said, the blokes in my team didn't know each other a week ago. There are blokes here from all over Sydney.
0: I mean, it's cringeworthy. And then when the Marara is us over this, they have every right in the world. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah. But what's the alternative? Yeah. Have no international game. Yeah.
1: When you're made to look embarrassing by the Hong Kong sevens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, I mean, it has worked that ploy, you know, Lebanon. Yeah. That type of thing.
1: There is a value in it that has worked from time to time. Interesting, Lebanon, Hazem el-Masri was actually allowed to play for Lebanon in the Sevens this year. Yeah. It's just so weird that the ARL are blocking, like, the Bega Valley Dragons from playing in a junior carnival, (laughs) but El Masri is allowed to play. How likeable is the bloke?
0: (laughs) Yeah. We're in the middle of this war, but since you're El Magic, (laughs) you, you can...
1: So the coverage brought up the, you know, predictable talk about the, you know, former NFL players that were playing for USA. So... The American team was actually coached by Warren Ryan that year uh, and featured... (laughs) What do you
0: think they thought of Warren? (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about this guy called Biggles. (laughs) Never heard of him.
1: So the American team was led by uh, Nate the Skate Turner, Buffalo Bills Super League hero. I Googled Nate the Skate Turner, um, found absolutely nothing, (laughs) went to Wikipedia and found an entry for Nate Turner, Sands, The Skate, which was just a stub article. So
0: We've been burnt by fraudulent NFL players (laughs) more than online dating scams in the
1: show. Uh, The ARL were also using The Sevens to talk about their bona fides in getting a Melbourne team up and running, which again proves their lack of bona fides (laughs) in getting a Melbourne team up and running.
0: (laughs) I mean... (laughs) We sit there and laugh at it. Like they tried their best. It's just yeah, like, yeah, it's just not good.
1: But like it just comes down to the gimmick aspect of it. Yeah. So in that Melbourne team, they had a former uh, Swans player Leon Higgins playing in the team, and also a Olympic sprinter Shane Naylor. So between those two, remember him? Yeah. Yeah. So all week they were talking about the combination between these two guys: the big kick of Higgins and the sprinting ability of Naylor. So. The play was that Higgins was going to kick it downfield. Uh, He said that he could easily kick it 60 metres and then Naylor was going to run through and do the rest. Um, On the day, it was written as, "'Everyone wanted the play. Calmly, Higgins kicked downfield and Naylor set sail. His pace was immediately apparent. Out sprinting the defence as he won the race for the ball.' All Naylor needed to do was fall on it, but we all know what an oval ball can do. When Naylor zigged, the ball zagged. He flew straight past it. Maybe another time.
0: <laughs> but that's the thing, see, that's interesting. An yeah. AFL, like, kicking a rugby league ball. Yeah, I'd yeah, I'd pay yeah. to watch that.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, you'd pay to watch it once. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. when the American team comes in, and it's like, oh, they're going to, like, do a gridiron-style pass across the field. It's like, <laughs> it's exciting the first time. <laughs>
0: yeah. Also, the ball's way bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we can't be too hard on them. Sevens was a gimmick even when it was popular. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it just kind of outlived its relevance. It had a good run, fond memories of it. But uh, so after 10 years, this proved to be the last. It did come back for a season in the early 2000s, but um, has been superseded by the nines, which to their credit was Super League's concept. And, I think, which is slightly better. <laughs> it's slightly better, and I think you can see the difference in ambition between Super League with the nines and the ARL with the sevens. So, with the sevens, it was always just like a lark. It was a preseason gimmick that not much thought went into. It seems like Super League actually did see something bigger for nines. That's
0: really sinking the slipper on Colin Love there, mate. Not much thought went into it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, that's unfair because it did have cultural relevance for a time, yeah. but it, you know, it was a limited concept. I think from the start, Super League saw it as a kind of bridging tournament, something that could develop into something bigger. So a Super League spokesman said, What we hope to do with overseas viewers is use the Nines tournament as an entree to Super League. So that's kind of the model that we see with the Nines now. So they had some vision there. It was clear at this point in time, though, that Nines was going to stay Mickey Mouse. And they, you know, said that it was going to be in Fiji every year, had, you know, torrential rain... Took a huge financial loss.
0: As long as it's on a remote uh, yeah. Pacific island, <laughs> I'm happy.
1: So they moved it to Townsville, cut the number of teams down from 16 to 12. Townsville had its own problems in that it was played in February in very hot and humid conditions. She's just trying to
0: endanger the lives of players at all times.
1: <laughs> uh, crowds were mixed. You know, they got 10,000 day one, 12,000, and then 13,000. So not a resounding success. Uh, once again, Australia, disappointed, were knocked out in the semifinals. New Zealand went on to beat the might of Western Samoa, uh, 16-0 in the final. Uh, and the final kind of, you know, inference of Mickey Mouse type tournament was the fact that the Great Britain squad was only allowed to pick one player from each Super League team. Why? I guess the demands on their season, but, right. you know. It's, <laughs> oh, my Lord, that really is Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. So I think there were different philosophies of what the ARL were trying to achieve and what Super League were and different stakes as a result. So Super League were clearly more serious about the nines than the ARL were about the sevens. So the sevens entertainment was a sprint race in between some of the games. All you need. And then a highlights package of Eric Growth. <laughs> Again, like all you need.
0: I don't want to denigrate the nines concept I mean, it's got some positive things there but shouldn't they be focusing on the actual comp yeah yeah in this situation yeah we're talking about hey, ARL wasting time in japan mm. it's spending a lot of time thinking about nines yeah when um we don't even know if we've got enough grounds for the teams we've gotten yeah <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but i guess this was the era and with the sevens there you had to start the season in a big way like you couldn't just have trials Leading up to the yeah, game, yeah, okay, you know, so, yeah, you had to have some kind of a squash. Yeah, they had Christine Arnu there, and
0: well, that's the best thing about it. Yeah, I love Christine <laughs> back then, especially Fox. Uh,
1: so, with that all done, it was time for the actual game. So, Super League were getting in a week earlier than the ARL, which, um, to both of their credits, there were no like kind of draw shenanigans like the ARL, you know, using the opportunity to put their <laughs> game forward. <laughs> You know, as John Quayle said, if we brought ours forward, they could bring theirs forward a week. So, you know.
0: I'm surprised that didn't happen. Yeah.
1: Super League even moved a Mariners game when they realised it was coinciding with a Knights game.
0: Well, see, that's basic common sense, right? Yeah. But in Rugby League, it's like amazing. Yeah. They thought about that in advance yeah. and didn't.
1: Um, but one of the things that seeing Super League come to fruition actually did was to give the fans a look at the presentation for the first time. We've talked about the entertainment, but the other aspect of how Super League was presented was the jerseys, which, you know, have kind of lived on as, you know, not particularly well regarded. A real missed opportunity. I'd like to know what the thinking was with the like uniformity of them and the
0: Well, I know what I think thinking was. It was like the NBA is a player's league and the NFL is a team's league. Mm. They want to make the league to be strong. Yeah. So that's what they're thinking.
1: Yeah. So I thought we'd have a look at all of the jerseys. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some differing opinions. So I'll just go through them and you can maybe tell me what you think. So I'm giving the Cowboys props for having the jersey that most looks like a rugby league jersey.
0: Cowboys and dogs are my favourites.
1: See, the dogs I found was just too pointy. (laughs) (laughs) That's pedantic. Pedantic maybe, but yeah, I I didn't like the point. The Cowboys, like that could have easily been their jersey in like 95 or 96. Yeah. It loses points for being a shit jersey, but I, I give them props on the...
0: I actually think it was all right. Yeah. In my opinion, it was all right.
1: I think it wasn't for another... 15 years till we started seeing decent Cowboys jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> Um the two standouts for me are the Broncos and the Sharks and I don't know whether there's just a bias because they were the grand final teams and Sharks is pretty cool and I know like a lot of Sharks fans do have like some fondness for that jersey. But I'll say
0: this, all Sharks jerseys to me look pretty cool. Going back to Michael Speechley, it's just a colour scheme.
1: I think the Speechley era is good, but I think they've had a lot of duds over the years. Even yeah, the Super League one wasn't bad. And the Broncos, I think it just fits with the Broncos.
0: Yeah. I can't rate that probably because I don't like the Broncos.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Rams, I think, leaving aside the Knights thing which we shouldn't do because that, yeah. that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But if you do leave that aside, like I think the actual look wasn't too bad. Not
0: too bad. Of its time.
1: Of its time, yeah.
0: A little bit bubble font looking. But, yeah, yeah. Um, it's okay.
1: But not the worst. And I, I like the kind of incorporation of the Ram horns yeah, in the design. It was like, was cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, we differ on this. I think the Raiders jersey is edging on acceptability. No,
0: disgusting. All based on the colour choice. The original Raiders colour, that vomit green, yeah, which they somehow chose. Yeah, <laughs> they decided to have a version of that military vomit khaki-looking green. Blind Freddie can tell you lime yeah, is yeah. the only green to go with.
1: Like I said to you yesterday, it's like a touch footy jersey, um, <laughs> if that. Yeah, but I think it's like maybe I'm I'm just thinking of it fondly because I remember the Aussie male era. Like, I would take that jersey over the early 2000s Raiders look.
0: Yeah, they're both – I'd take Aussie mail, to be honest. But, yeah, right. But I was really disappointed with this. Mm. And to me, it's just a no-brainer to pick the the proper green. Yeah. All the way up to Woodges, the green was gross. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the Mariners, to me, looks like a knockoff version of a Mariners jersey. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think they did okay given the, you know, throw something together. Yeah. Pick some colors that aren't being used. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so. But, but why are we giving teams props for throwing something <laughs> together in a multi-million dollar
0: <laughs> I've got fondness for it because they're they my team, you know, like yeah. local team. But I think it was one of the better ones, to be quite frank. And it's a bit of a collector's item now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, there's three absolute standouts in terms of sheer dog-shittedness. <laughs> uh Narrowly not as bad for me are the Warriors and the Panthers. I think way too much going on in both of those jerseys. Yeah, busy bees. Uh, and then the Reds for me is one of the worst football jerseys I've ever seen.
0: Well, here's one for you. I agree now at the time I liked it. Oh, really? yep. <laughs> I was like, this is cool, man, the Reds.
1: Any chance that Super League had of getting up for me was like halved once everyone saw the jerseys.
0: It's amazing how much jersey talk we have between all our um, Patreon crew. This must be like 80% of our chat is yeah, jersey talk, yeah. right? We love it. Mm. You and I talk jerseys all the time. It's just such an important thing for sports fans. Yeah, yeah. The jersey's got to feel good, Yeah, look good,
1: and they just drop the ball. Oh, so badly. And then the clean skin idea, it was... I love the concept. Yeah, it was a great concept, but the jerseys in the end, like so eventually... When, you know, they were in this huge financial hole, they swiftly abandoned the clean skin jersey and most teams finished the year in sponsor jerseys. When I look at, say, the Broncos jersey, like it actually looks better with set on it than it does like <laughs> clean skin. So I think in the end, getting the sponsors kind of made the jerseys look a bit better. Uh, it would have been interesting to see what sort of jerseys we get in 1998 had Super League continued because Nike announced that they were dropping at least six of the teams. They were only committing <laughs> to making three or four team jerseys for 1998. A real
0: company um, has got standards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I think we discussed it in the, the last episode, but for me, the referees' jerseys are the ones that have stood the test of time <laughs> Sad, in the Super League era. But, I mean, what do
0: you do? Do you have the game design the jerseys as a whole or do you let the clubs who have notoriously stuffed jerseys up mm. design their own I would have taken it um, centralized.
1: I, I don't know. I feel like you kind of got to let the clubs do it. And if you look at the explosion of alternates and themes in the last few years, I think the ratio is improving. Oh, now, yeah, yeah. Like I think even four or five years ago, there were like so many bad jerseys. Now, like you're getting some really great ones, and you're not getting as many like truly horrendous jerseys. Well, you probably get all the same pop up ads I get of like the retro
0: jerseys, yeah. right? And I go through them every time. They're so mm-hmm. cool. They had it right in the 80s. Yeah. You never see any like throwback jerseys to like 96, 97. Yeah, yeah, no.
1: (laughs) It's amazing how good the marketing was in the 80s, like the jerseys and everything else around it.
0: It's like anything in life, simplicity wins. Mm. They went overboard. Yeah. Particularly the Warriors. and. um...
1: (laughs) (laughs) That same sentiment maybe applies to the numbering system, which was... Oh. So Super League players were free to pick their own numbers. They didn't have to follow the traditional format.
0: I'll put my hand up and say I thought it was a good idea and then a minute into it I'm like, this sucks.
1: To me, like, it still seems like a good idea that just doesn't work in actuality. Like, I love the idea of having a number specifically associated with one player. like, It's a really cool thing in other sports. But the Super League experience showed us that it's just kind of phony in this context. Yeah. You can't force it.
0: What really embarrassed me was the 23 stuff. Yeah. Ugh.
1: So Warnie started it. So one day cricket had brought in the number jerseys the year before. Warn had 23.
0: Which worked okay in cricket because they didn't have positions.
1: Yeah, yeah. But since then, it's just, yeah, it's so try-hard to wear the number 23. In rugby league especially. Yeah.
0: And, of course, Mundine.
1: No, no, team didn't. Didn't did do no, it? No, no. Who was the 23
0: then? So, <laughs> I've been maligning him for that for no, decades. So, sorry, Ant.
1: Well, to me, that's the interesting thing about Super League is the players who wore 23. So you had like Richie Barnett at the Sharks. He's like probably the only like lairish picking of 23. I remember Barnett. So beyond that, you had like, you know, a few, because not every team had personalized numbers. Some teams went you know, one to 17.
0: So even that's weird. Yeah. I, I have it across the board. I don't yeah, know. yeah.
1: So there are a few 23s that I think are like squad numbers. So a couple of like lower grade players at the Panthers and the Mariners, Eberle and Falcon. You had like Royston Lightning at the Raiders, Anthony Swan at the Warriors. Then, you know, Bruce Mamando at the Rams. Andrew G at the Broncos <laughs> is a strange one, like, which seems like a squad number, because the Broncos went 1-17. to 17. Andrew G went with IQ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my favourite of all is Robert Ralph at the Bulldogs. <laughs>
0: one of the great names.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel between like Robert Ralph, Darren Britt, like the Bulldogs forwards of this era. They all sounded <laughs> doggish as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Ralph. <laughs> so this is one where we can say with certainty that it wasn't a squad number because the Bulldogs went very personalised with their jerseys. Uh of Robert Ralph picking 23, Daryl Halligan said, he can't jump high enough to slip a tally-ho paper underneath.
0: <laughs> Sick burn, but uh, pot and kettle black.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so as I said, some teams went traditional. So the Broncos, the Raiders, they didn't go with personalized jerseys. And I think it would have been the coach saying like, oh, you know, we're not going with that nonsense. The Panthers were more or less 1 to 13 with a couple of exceptions. The Bulldogs were the wackiest team. So only seven of their players were numbered 1 to 13. And even those seven, like it's wacky. So Craig Polamounta and Rod Silver did a direct swap with Polamounta wearing one and Silver wearing seven.
0: It's just stupid,
1: isn't it? You had Darren Britt wearing number three, Mitch Newton wearing number five, <laughs> Mitch Newton, the world's slowest winger. It was um,
0: really confusing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think ultimately that's what it comes down to. It was just confusing for fans.
0: Idea was right. Yeah. Again, with the uh, trying something. But yeah, yeah. It failed and they got rid of it. So Yeah,
1: and there must be a middle ground, like a way to capitalise on the individuals, like the players, you know.
0: I like one or the other. So I don't like in soccer how they sort of – they got the main numbers, yeah, and then, yeah. then they got like 19. Yeah, yeah, that annoys me. So it's like I really love the one to 17. It's like yeah. Brett Kenny's got the six in Parramatta, mm. and if you're playing six for Parramatta, you get to live up to that. And yeah, it's cool. Uh,
1: it reminds me of one of my favourite Laurie Daly quotes. I can't even remember the exact context, but he came up with he was talking about playing a five eighth, and he said, "I was always proud to wear the five eight on my back." <laughs> Uh, so, as it turns out, it was wildly unpopular, and uh, John Rebo put his hand up as he was forced <laughs> to do many times in 1997. r s i from putting his hand up <laughs> He said, "I pushed very hard for it in the first place, and i don 't mind putting my hand up to say it hasn 't worked there 's been too much confusion for any everyone involved in the game, uh, so it was headed for a review if there was to be a second super league season so
0: Head of review means it is gone. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that would have been the likely future of the personalized jerseys in a Super League uh, season in 1998.
0: I'll give him kudos for that. It's easy to sit back and just mock everything, which is the existence of this podcast. <laughs> but you got to try something. Yeah,
1: yeah. And as you said, the idea was there. Like it makes sense that it would work, and it's only in the trying that you find out that in practice it
0: doesn't. But it's different than the – ARL on the Origin jersey yeah,
1: because that was just stupid. Yeah. This had a method to the madness. There was a point. It yeah. wasn't change for change's sake. Yeah. You could see what they were trying to do. Uh, so that leads us to opening night itself. So uh, ANZ Stadium. I remember it? Uh, 43,000 people.
0: It looked like a. this is a winner. We were yeah. on a winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think John Rebo would have been thinking the same. So this was his quote on opening night. The old harp was pounding. It meant a lot to me to see what we had worked so hard for become reality. And I, you know, really feel for Ebo in that instance. Yeah. You know, he talked about being there with David Hill, who was involved in World Series cricket, and at their first match, he went around to get the names and numbers of the like people in attendance, so he didn't lose them as well. Amazing. You know, this was a completely different. Forty-three thousand people. After all the acrimony, it's something
0: else because this guy's been through. Everybody in his sport hating his guts, <laughs> strangers wishing him ill will, <laughs> yeah, by the thousand, and he got it up. So yeah, good on him.
1: So you say you remember it well. So you remember watching it? Yeah,
0: watching it. Yeah, I remember being excited and thinking, "Wow, this is really cool. It's gonna—they're really doing it." Like, yeah, you know, the vision is here. Mm. We're going to Asia. Yeah, it is on.
1: <laughs> so, do you remember the time that you watched it? <laughs> no. So. It was actually supposed to be on the Friday night. So it was supposed to be Friday the 28th of February. There was no ARL game until the following week. So, you know, all was clear to, you know, have it on Channel 9. Uh, But, oh, no, the deal they have with the ARL says that Super League can't go on Channel 9 on Friday nights. So Super League had to push it back a night. Uh, So it was on the Saturday night, uh, hosted on ABC, At 9.30, so you had your (coughs) double header of Heartbeat and The Bill, (laughs) followed by Super League, uh, probably followed by Darren Britt, Guest Programming Rage.
0: Well, maybe that's what contributed to the crowd.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Heartbeat and The Bill. (laughs) It's just insane. All that money you spend. (laughs) I know. I don't
1: remember that at (laughs) all. Do you remember the spectacle behind it, or for you it's just you remember the game?
0: Yeah, I remember the spectacle. I remember... Uh...
1: So this was the world's first recreation of the Capulet ball. Oh, that what, was it, was that's it? What that <laughs> was that <event>. <laughs> <laughs> So it was not only Kim Marzell, you know, recreating <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, what rugby league fans have been crying out for. But. There's
0: two words I never want to hear with rugby league again. is Baz yeah <laughs>
1: Uh, On top of that, you had Belinda Carlisle, John Two Tribe Stevens, Yothu Yindi, uh, 300 school kids on stage. Old habits die hard in terms of rugby league entertainment. It's (laughs) Deadford. Of course, there were pyrotechnics. Uh, They actually had to. (laughs) third degree burns? (laughs) (laughs) No, well, they, they actually had to dial down their fireworks show because Brisbane City Council imposed a 500 foot limit on fireworks. So they had to scale it back. Uh, one of my favourite things about the pre-match build-up was on screen they had celebrities giving well wishes, which, you know, is a, a fairly common practice at big events. Uh, but just the grab bag of names who were there um, recording their messages uh, It included Scott Miller, El McPherson, Bill Collins, Mike Gibson, Tim Webster, Melissa George, Kim Be- Beasley, Piers Ackerman, Ignatius Jones, Les Murray... Rob Sitch, Pauline Hanson, Wally Lewis. That's just absurd. I love that, like, it's such a random assortment that I genuinely don't know whether they mean Les Murray, the soccer commentator, or the poet.
0: <laughs> I mean, do they pay them for this? That seems like a... Yeah, well, like, I, I mean... I can't see that Rob Sitch going yeah, on. Yeah. I really want to um, <laughs> well-wish Super League. <laughs> now I know them all except for Ignatius
1: Jones. Who's he? Uh, he's like an eighties. Um, I can't. Was he in the models or something? And and a radio guy. Right. Um, okay. I feel like he's kind of a music slash like broadcasting kind right. of figure.
0: It Just he's got shade. the,
1: the name's familiar to me, but I can't really remember his deal. I Dale. think of his
0: Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, um, some of the like zeros in that as well. You know. Yeah. But. Piers Ackerman. <laughs> was that a slight to fatty? Uh,
1: yeah, I think it was, or maybe throwing Piers a bone and, and said, "Well, thanks for all your hard work, uh, yeah. Fatso Vaughn." Won't be giving a <laughs> message, but you can. We've got a, um, a gig offer for you, you fatty piece of shit, um, <laughs> <laughs> Fatso Vaughn. <laughs> uh, and this event maybe kicked in the start of the interminable delays. Uh, of the game actually starting (laughs) so paul kent had a column where he broke it down minute by minute what was going on uh you know and it's like we're waiting we're still waiting where's alf we want alf and as it turns out they were 18 minutes late for kickoff which is Pretty good for, you know, what we've dealt with over the last 20 years.
0: When you said where's Alpha, I immediately thought the alien from, <laughs> from the planet, whatever it's called.
1: Uh, Malmac? Yeah, it? <laughs> like, because th- that's a chance of them bringing yeah. it in.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I, I think to your point in our last episode, I think Paul Kent's on the money. Some say there was $300,000 spent on pre-match entertainment. Why not just wind the wave up about two minutes before the team's run on and save a fistful of cash? The crowd wouldn't be any less happy.
0: Agree. I don't like to agree with Paul Kemp, but I do. But um, you made the good point about the nines. You're going to make a splash after yeah, all yeah, this yeah. All this problem. For game one, yeah, make yeah. a splash.
1: Like, I think you had to bill it like you'd bill your grand final.
0: <laughs> with Baz Luhrmann. That's <laughs> how <laughs> you bill every grand final.
1: <laughs> but I, I think as a result of all that, the football is always going to seem underwhelming. So... You've been, you know, talked about this, you know, incredible entertainment. You've never seen it before. And then that all ends and the entertainment's underwhelming as well because of all the issues we've previously discussed. Then the game comes on. The game's going to have to be pretty good to, like, match the hype.
0: Yeah, but exactly. It's like what's the end game of this entertainment angle? You want to create a comparatively inferior product. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense.
1: And as it turns out, the game was a bit of a dud. Alan Langer even admitted that it was a bit of an anti-climax. So there were a lot of drop balls, and there's a reason for that we'll talk about, but he said that took away from all the hype of the game.
0: Well, Super League or no Super League, you got six rounds of getting used to your teammates and (laughs) new combinations. and
1: (laughs) Uh, And one Super League official agreed with the idea that opening night was a fizzer and actually gave it a miss for the three tenors concert in Melbourne.
0: <laughs> well, it's a big concert.
1: <laughs> so I think after all of this, they were destined to underwhelm because we'd seen entertainment at football games before and the football itself, like, the change was always going to be incremental.
0: More a Brisbane thing, really, in that they'll show up to anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. and And that kind of played out over the rest of the weekend, so... The Panthers—they only got eight thousand. Belinda Carlisle was there doing "We Will Rock You." She couldn't draw. The old red seat Panther Stadium would have looked appalling yeah. too. It was the first taste of the Rodney O experience at Panthers Stadium, and you know, and then the start of resistance to the Rodney O experience. <laughs> and after all of that, after the the music and the you know Rodney O Belinda Carlisle. The things that get the biggest cheers, Greg Alexander in his first game back for Penrith running 70 metres. They were playing the Reds. You know, the crowd were calling out Guy as a wanker. That's all you need. You know, like. <laughs> and I mean, if you need more than that, you did more and got 8,000 people. So it's not the model that's going to work. No, Even less people in uh, Newcastle for the Hunter Mariners' first game. I was there. Oh, were you really? Yeah. So that you were one of uh, six thousand five hundred and seventy-nine.
0: But I'll say this: atmosphere was good. Very small ground. Yeah, probably more suitable to its old inhabitants, the um, Newcastle Australs in yeah. the NSL. <laughs>
1: um, so it wasn't too bad. All right. Well, maybe I'll give Sarge a pass. So Mark Sargent was on the ABC call with Debbie Spillane, uh, and they were talking about the brilliant atmosphere at Topper Stadium. Good atmosphere. It felt like a really popular sports carnival. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, on the atmosphere, Sarge said, if a player couldn't play with this atmosphere, he couldn't play anywhere.
0: (laughs) It it still boggles the mind that Sarge was a defector.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, And then finally, the... Raiders versus the Sharks at the SFS, um, which was I'm pretty sure it was like the only Super League match at the SFS that year. Yeah, well. Might have been in the semis. There was another one. But uh, that underwhelmed because VIP guests were promised an eight-course meal uh, and they were going to be, you know, wined and dined at the footy. Uh, Instead, they were – this was the quote. We were promised an eight-course meal, but all the ground caterers served up was stale chips, cold frankfurters and party pies. The only decent refreshment they served was tinned low-alcohol beer, while the fridges containing full-strength remained padlocked.
0: Why are you going to the football for an eight-course
1: meal is my first question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Who's promising that is my second yeah. question, and why are they delivering it is the third question. Yeah,
1: well, it was a Super League promise, and they also promised to then launch an investigation into the debacle of that experience. So. Padlocking beer fridges <laughs> is a very Australian... Um...
0: <laughs> Cultural uh, touchstone.
1: So in the end, it was an underwhelming first weekend for Soup League that was marred by terrible handling throughout the weekend, and it very quickly became apparent that there was an issue with the new Gilbert balls.
0: Oh, I've got a lot to say on this, man, because it just annoys the shit out of me, this type of thing. Walt Disney would be so proud of this. How can you have a competition being planned for two years and no one thought to test the balls at night? Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely
1: unforgivable. But the thing about it is it should have been caught well before this stage, but even in the lead-up from the trial games, it was clear that there was an issue. So Wayne Bennett had actually appealed to the league to not use the balls, and uh, he said, we realised a few weeks ago the balls become too slippery when they become wet. We were concerned about it, and a letter was sent to all the club CEOs, but the majority of clubs voted against a change.
0: When I was talking about his showcasing attacking football, yeah. I'll be getting extra grip balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So all the footballs. <laughs> all the clubs were aware. The Raiders in particular realised that there was a problem. They played a trial match where if it was just us, you could say it was just skills letting you down. But there were two games out there tonight and not one team reached a 50% completion rate. <laughs>
0: imagine that. Get the balls
1: right. Yeah, so Sticky was well aware of the problem. Uh, but then identified maybe Super League's bigger problem. He said, I suppose we've got no one to blame but ourselves. We tested the balls last year and they seem like the best choice. Now I'm not so sure. They were very slippery out there and maybe it's something that should be looked at. Like, I understand the players are the ones that are playing with the balls, but I also don't think you should be putting it in the hands of the players to make the best call.
0: (laughs) I can't believe this. After all this money and all this time, yeah. round one was marred by <laughs> the incorrect balls. Yeah.
1: So it, attention turned to how they were going to solve the problem. Um, I, I think it would have left too much egg on their faces to just completely abandon the balls. So they came up with some creative solutions. One was to have the players wear gloves. <laughs> <laughs> so th- these were trial... <laughs> what? Is it-
0: a more unnatural solution
1: so these were trialed by a number of teams uh matt ryan at the dogs said that he'd want to try them a bit more before using them in a game uh they felt all right although when you pass the ball you don't really feel the ball in your hands julian O'Neill kept them the gloves he kept them yeah he kept using them oh did he really at least for a while okay that's interesting because from round three Super League allowed the gloves to be worn. So the Cowboys said they were going to use them. um, But I've read the match report for the following game and there's no reference to them. There was a change made to the balls that made the gloves unnecessary. I think maybe they got satisfaction beforehand. Right. But if anyone knows, if anyone can remember the Cowboys wearing gloves, I just haven't been able to find a reference to it.
0: I mean, if you want to alienate an entire nation, have them play the favourite
1: sport wearing villain gloves from James Bond. (laughs) Um, So as it turns out, there was a solution that didn't require extra um, (laughs) playing equipment. So this was Rebo's comment on fixing it. It's a problem we've immediately addressed. The problem is not so much with the football itself. We use new balls for every round. Those balls just need to be roughed up a little before use. We've spoken to the manufacturers at length and we're confident there won't be a problem.
0: Just use old balls then.
1: Yeah, well, so I, I think they basically did that or treated them, but the handling wasn't, you know, a noticeable issue from then on.
0: I mean, do they get to the point where there's so many embarrassments, they're immune to the feeling of embarrassment? Because that's just, yeah, it's just crazy Yeah, that would happen.
1: I mean, when it's your opening night and it's been such a big build-up, there's just things you have to get right. Like, you can't miss these opportunities.
0: On the plus side, we didn't mention this, the balls look really cool. Yeah. With the logo and everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they were good balls, like, the look of them. So, in the end, it was a decent opening weekend for Super League. They got just under 100000 for the five games. So, you know, obviously you had the 43000 in Brisbane, the Cowboys got 17,000 and there were 22,000 at the SFS.
0: Not bad considering they sodomized the fan for two straight years. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the ARL were gearing up for their season launch. So, once again, the Yani effect strikes with the <laughs> ARL holding a, a big gala ball. You know, Erica Baxter was there and Christine Arnoux. So, she's not playing favorites with her rugby league competitions. What Judas. Um, <laughs> but people who weren't there because they hadn't been invited included Jack Gibson, Rex Mossop, and at that point I think it was the oldest surviving kangaroo, uh, Mick Cadwell. So, like, once again, and they, they'd already been criticised for this in the years previous, like leaving out the old players and, you know, prioritising the kind of big end of town.
0: Again, with the
1: pusher tradition
0: and then overlooked tradition. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a century-long tradition in overlooking and disrespecting elder statesmen. Yeah, know, really. yeah. I don't know how it happens every <laughs>
1: uh, But to the football itself, they showed that they weren't going to be outgunned in terms of their opening entertainment. So for the Eels match, they Eels and North Sydney, they got the Angels uh, and the crowd would also be entertained by 100 line dancers, the 60-strong <laughs> Optus cheerleaders group and a fireworks display. Uh, and then Lee Kernighan would be there at halftime to sing a couple of songs.
0: Angels and I can, uh that's rugby league fair, but don't know about the line dancing. <laughs> that was a gimmick at the time, I know. But do opts need their own cheerleaders? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but Neil Whittaker made the point of once again stressing football first and taking aim at Super League's extravagant budget, saying less than $100,000 would be spent on entertainment for the entire round, compared with $300,000 for the Supernet League opening night alone.
0: I appreciate that um, as a fan, but I reckon it cheapens you to say that.
1: Mm. It's
0: like, we have got a really lower-end product.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interestingly, this is a sliding doors moment. But So the Knights <laughs> were playing on the Sunday Arvo, Tina Turner was actually in town what? playing Newcastle Entertainment Centre on the Saturday night. What? So they tried to see if they could get her to come down to Marathon, uh, but as it turns out, she was going to be in Canberra by the time the kickoff, so it couldn't happen. But...
0: <laughs> Hello, who's this? It's Mario. It's Cliffy. <laughs> Hi, boys. <laughs> What's doing, Tina? <laughs> uh,
1: and so as it turns out, that match had awful weather The night struggled to get a crowd All weekend it was kind of a mixed bag You know, a couple of good figures With 25,000 at Parramatta versus Norths And 18,000 watching Balmain Manly Overall, in that weekend So Super League's second week ARL's first Super League won the week Getting 77,000 to 75 And that's with one less game
0: You don't want to be bringing in Oh, it was raining excuses No, yeah Week
1: one <laughs> And there were a lot of excuses to be made in terms of crowds all year. Uh, And both teams dogged with claims of mass ticket giveaways, (laughs) uh, highly credible claims of mass ticket
0: giveaways.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So one article said that some club fans have had spot the goose competitions to find people who actually paid to see the games. Isn't that sad? So, you know, there were different models for different clubs. So, with the Broncos at ANZ, for example, they got money from the concession stands, etc. So it was their best interest to have a full stadium and they'd get something out of it. With, say, South and the Roosters playing at the SFS, they got a flat rate. So they didn't really get anything from boosting their crowd figures through Giveaways. I think
0: that's the worst idea for our Billy clubs, the flat rate. Yeah. You need to be tied to mm.
1: crowds. Yeah, yeah, totally. Performance yeah. incentivizes. Yeah, exactly. So, their incentives for getting people to the ground, in terms of the obvious, just trying to build atmosphere, et cetera, were to partner with local organizations. So, it would be, you know, tickets giving out through the local McDonald's or whatever it would be. Uh, one of my favorite promotions was a Dr. Pepper promotion where Dr. Pepper reps. <laughs> would go around to schools handing out free cans of Dr. Pepper and tickets to ARL matches. I mean... And, and the fact is, at that point in time, the Dr. Pepper was a more highly coveted item.
0: <laughs> this medicine drink <laughs> despised by <my> all.
1: <laughs> so for a match against the Crushers, uh, the Roosters actually gave out over 30,000 free tickets and drew 8,000 to the game
0: i never heard those sort of things before. I knew they gave tickets away, but yeah. that, that many? Yeah. Just to print that many. In a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It cost.
1: And it just shows you that making tickets free isn't the salve because it can just make them seem worthless.
0: That's exactly what it does in entertainment, pushing people no one wants with free tickets.
1: Yeah. And people hating them. Yeah. <laughs> so I think overall the ARL gave out more free tickets, but Super League certainly gave out plenty And when they're giving out tickets to like tri-series matches, that's that's a bad sign.
0: Well, not only did they give me free tickets, but they gave me a free polo. Mariners, (laughs) how good was that?
1: (laughs) So basically crowds across the board were a big issue. The opening weekend for Super League was as good as it got. So they had 97,000, their highest crowd figure for the year. Their round 18, their last round, that was down to 50,000. There were some successes, but overall it was a mixed bag. So they had five crowds under five thousand. Three of these would surprise you, whether involved the Hunter (laughs) Mariners, including two crowds of under three thousand.
0: Yeah, bit empty those ones. Yeah, (laughs) I'll give you that. But um, honestly, they asked for it. Yeah. Second Newcastle team.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the ARL were about the same. Like their crowd figures. There were some promising signs in terms of big matches and seven of the 12 clubs increased their crowd figures from the year before. But it's the drops that are kind of more worrying. So the Roosters dropped from 17 to 9 crowd average. You Terrible, know, not it? The crushes from 13,000 down to 7,000. And that included a game later in the year where they literally like opened the gates.
0: Oh, man, it's sad. I've got to say though, I'm surprised they got anybody after the – last couple of years. Yeah. So the fact they got any crowds is like a win to me.
1: Well, the crowds were like basically for both competitions, that was in the end among the least of their worries. Like everything was down. The TV ratings were down. Um, Merchandising was down over 60% from the year before. Um, Corporate sponsorships down by 40% and, you know, teams scrambling to have a major sponsor. It was all in a really bad place. I think you could see the disillusionment among the players uh, with players on both teams knowing that it wasn't fair dinkum anymore. Like They were watching the Broncos play and going, well, why aren't we playing them?
0: It must have been demoralising.
1: Yeah. And, of course, among the general public, it was a plague on both of their houses and a lot of toxicity, a lot of just complete lack of interest. So in that respect, I kind of have to uh, salute this uh, particular attendant at Australia's Wonderland Um, I'll read this anybody with kids wanting a break from the Super League ARL war shouldn't go to Australia's Wonderland or more specifically don't go near an attraction called the Endeavour Ride, one of the attendants there has taken it upon himself to berate in a most offensive manner anybody wearing Super League gear (laughs) Not content with merely expressing his views face-to-face to paying customers, he even used the loudspeaker system to vent his spleen. <laughs> oh. Which I think tells you all you need to know about rugby league in Sydney particular in 1997. <laughs> Where it infects theme parks,
0: <laughs> it's gone too far. Kids, I know you want to have a good day, but uh, this militant ARL support is going to ruin it for you.
1: <laughs> so we end this part of the chapter on a bit of a downer, and I think probably as a whole this chapter has been a bit of a downer. <laughs> downer, yeah. um, The good news is I've kind of packed all the or most of the downerness into this one chapter, and for the rest of the year, for a lot of it we're actually going to be talking about events on field and some of the good things that happened in 1997.
0: Well, mate, like Lynn Anderson, you didn't promise us a rose garden for 1997.
1: (laughs) We we weren't expecting positivity, so don't worry about that. Is that the name of the woman who sang that song? Yeah. Oh, so not Bullfrog's daughter, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Great tune. Yeah, great tune. (laughs) Uh, So on that note, we will get out of here and... Our next chapter is going to be our 1997 Super League recap, and um, it was a crazy season on field, a lot of interesting stuff to dive into.
0: Yeah, well, I've only got spotty memories of it, to be honest. I think a lot of people are in the same
1: boat. Yeah. Uh, So you will hear all about it in our next episode. Uh, So thanks for listening to this episode and this chapter, and uh, appreciate your support as always, and we will get out of here. Toodaloo.